Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Tonight on The Readout. I don't have a lot of advice for my house colleagues other than this. Um, follow your heart, but take your brain with you. I'd also advise all of my house colleagues to be sure and take their meds. <laughs> Senator John Kennedy, Republican from Louisiana, with some good advice following Kevin McCarthy's historic and humiliating ouster, meaning even some Republicans realize their party is a mess and utterly incapable of governing. Also tonight on day three of his fraud trial, Donald Trump hightails it back to Florida. And New York Attorney General Letitia James says she's had enough of his attacks and lies, declaring that the Donald Trump show is over. And we begin tonight with a crisis of governance in the House of Representatives at a time when the nation and the world are facing some very serious problems. Today, 75,000 U.S. health professionals went on strike over work conditions and pay. Auto workers are still striking and awaiting their fair pay. Student loan repayments are no longer on hold. The climate crisis is flooding major cities. Gun violence rages on, including just last night in Baltimore as a shooter wounded four students at Morgan State University. And Ukraine is facing a possible cutoff in U.S. funding as it fights to keep from being swallowed whole by Russia. On top of all of that, there is another very real threat of a government shutdown, this time on November 17th, leaving Congress with 31 working days to figure out an actual long-term budget, not just a temporary extension like the one that we got let this week. But instead of addressing any of those issues, the Republican Chaos Caucus in the House decided to fire their speaker to punish him for getting the extension and then to recess for the rest of the week. And that really shouldn't surprise you because Republicans have been focused on the bigger issues like banning books, targeting the LGBTQ community, restricting abortion access and ginning up a manufactured impeachment inquiry to own the libs and President Biden, you know, the important kitchen table stuff. You would think that after firing the first speaker ever in U.S. history, Republicans would pause for a bit of self-reflection. But nope, they're plunging deeper into chaos and acrimony. In fact, just hours after he lost the gavel, Kevin McCarthy started settling scores, including blaming Speaker Emerita Pelosi for his failures. His ally, interim speaker and gavel abuser Patrick McHenry, immediately evicted Pelosi from her offices in the Capitol. NBC News has viewed an email to Pelosi's staff ordering her to move out of the workspace by today. Pelosi wasn't even in the Capitol during Kevin's ouster. She's in San Francisco saying goodbye to her good friend, the late Senator Dianne Feinstein, whose successor, now Senator LaFonza Butler, was sworn in yesterday by Vice President Kamala Harris because the Senate actually functions. And this morning, back on the Looney Tunes side of the Capitol, 
Former Democratic majority leader Steny Hoyer was also evicted from his office. And guess who's moving into Pelosi's old office? Kevin McCarthy. And Republicans were playing petty games. President Biden was saying, hey, guys, maybe instead do your jobs. The House will now reorganize and select a new speaker. I know it's going to take some time, but I remind everyone we have a lot of work. We have a lot of work to do, and the American people expect us to get it done. We need to change the poisonous atmosphere in Washington. You know, we have strong disagreements, but we need to stop seeing each other as enemies. We need to talk to one another, listen to one another, work with one another, and we can do that. So Biden's doing his job, announcing another round of federal student loan forgiveness, helping 125,000 borrowers erase $9 billion in debt. Want to know what else President Biden did yesterday while Republicans were tearing each other to shreds? He got major drug companies to commit to participating in Medicare drug price negotiations with the federal government. You know, the important stuff. And while Biden keeps Bidening, the Chaos Caucus is leaderless. Marjorie Taylor Greene and other MAGA cronies are actually floating Donald Trump as the next speaker. According to Sean Hannity, a Trump confidant, he might be open to helping. Yeah, yeah, but about that. The Republicans' own House rules state in black and white that a member of the Republican leadership shall step aside if indicted for a felony for which a sentence of two or more years imprisonment may be imposed. Last I checked, Trump's got 91 of those. But we all know they're happy to break the rules for Trump. But here in the real world, the Chaos Caucus still has to find someone who can do the job without getting fired by them. And they're facing a choice of bad and worse. Earlier this afternoon, Majority Leader Steve Scalise, who literally called himself David Duke without the baggage, announced that he is a candidate for speaker. And Judiciary Chair, Judiciary Committee Chair and loud talker Jim Jordan, who has repeatedly ignored subpoenas, asked Trump for a pardon and was accused by a number of sexual assault victims of ignoring their pleas for help while he was their coach at Ohio State University, has also announced his run for speaker. Both, by the way, voted to overturn the election on January 6th, of course. Joining me now is Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett of Texas, former senator and MSNBC political analyst Claire McCaskill, and MSNBC political analyst Brendan Buck, a former aide to speakers John Boehner and Paul Ryan, a fortuitous uh, booking on tonight. Um, but I do want to start with you, uh, Congresswoman Crockett, because I have to say that you have been really, to me, displaying um, and embodying the vast difference in quality, if I can just be uh, blunt between Democrats and the current crop of Republicans. I mean, you've been out there eloquently just slaying, and so I'm going to give you credit for that and give you your flowers for that. But I also want to ask you a question I asked a member yesterday. If there was some opportunity for Kevin to save his job, let me just play Jerry Connolly, um, Congressman Jerry McConnelly, saying what Kevin did wrong. Take a look. I think it goes in Political 101 textbooks going forward as maybe one of the most crashingly stupid things somebody could do to thoroughly trash Democrats for providing the overwhelming support for the continuing resolution that he supported and put on the floor Saturday was a huge misstep. Congresswoman, what do you make of the fact that that's what Kevin is doing. He's blaming Democrats for kicking him out when Republicans kicked him out. <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, McCarthy 
he actually created this monster, right? Um, as many people have said, Nancy Pelosi didn't have these types of problems when she was the speaker. But more importantly, you pointed out what the rules say. They continued to box themselves in and McCarthy negotiated away anything that would have protected him. He shouldn't have had to look to Democrats. And if you needed to look to Democrats, then maybe pick up the phone, call Democrats and make a deal, a deal that will make sure that we move this country forward. Instead, all they want to do is pass messaging bills, bills that are dead on arrival when they get to the Senate and absolutely will never make it to the president. And we honestly aren't playing chess. We are absolutely, I'm sorry, we're not playing checkers with them. We've been playing chess the entire time. And play foolish games, you get foolish uh, rewards. So that's where they are. It is It is stunning to me. Um, I'm just going to play it. This is Kevin McCarthy blaming Speaker. She's not even Speaker anymore. Speaker Emerita Pelosi, who was out of town <laughs> when he got kicked out. Here he is saying the lady who was in San Francisco took me out. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi came to me. She was Speaker at the time on the way out. I told her I was having issues with getting enough votes. And she said, what's the problem? I said, they want this one, one person can really out. And she said, just give it to them. I'll always back you up. I made the same offer to Boehner and same thing to uh, Paul, because I believe in the institution. I think today was a political decision by the Democrats. And I think, I think the things they have done in the past hurt the institution. He goes on to say, Claire, that what the, what the Democrats did to hurt the institution was put in magnetometers after January 6th, after the, after the House was sacked by a mob. Uh, and that, you know, being not nice to people who were insurrectionists and taking people off their committees for threatening or mocking the idea of killing another member. And that those things just hurt the institution. And, and it's Nancy Pelosi's fault. She did put out a statement saying the Speaker of the House is chosen by the majority party in the Congress. It is the responsibility of House Republicans to choose the nominee and elect the Speaker. Um, there's no justification for departure from this. Blaming Speaker Pelosi seems like the weakest of the weak ideas I've ever heard. Claire, your thoughts? Well, it, here's the deal. Um, he can't have it both ways because he didn't ask for the Democrats' support. He didn't want the Democrats' support front street. He wanted some kind of magical fairy dust to float through that side of the Capitol and just empower the Democrats to save somebody who opened an impeachment inquiry with no evidence, who ran to Mar-a-Lago and kissed the ring, who has done all and who has tried to blame Democrats for everything that is absolutely at the feet of the chaotic, crazy caucus within the Republican House caucus. So it, it, either he should have. Well, first of all, there's four cardinal rules, right? Four cardinal rules. Keep your word. Keep your word. Count votes. Negotiate <laughs> from strength if you don't have the votes. Well, when he counted the votes, he knew he didn't have the votes. So did he negotiate from strength? Did he come to the Democrats and say, let's figure out a way to to? No, he didn't do that. But then when he doesn't do that, he wants to blame them. It is why he is not a leader. He didn't follow any of the four cardinal rules. 
Well, and also be strong enough to name the people who did it to you. Instead of attacking the eight Republicans who got together to kick him out, he's attacking the lady who's out of town and being like, I'm going to take your office. Like, and nobody cares where Nancy Pelosi sits. By the way, even she doesn't care. She was like, I don't care where I'm going to sit. Sit me wherever you want me to sit. I don't care. Okay, let, let me go to you, Brendan. Uh, it is, uh, welcome to the show. I, I have to be honest. I was not a fan of either of your two bosses, uh, Boehner and Ryan. But the thing that people used to say about Paul Ryan is that he was an intellectual. There isn't, I can't, I, and I struggle today. I, I asked my, think of, I cannot think of a Republican in that caucus, in the House, who I would accuse of that. Isn't that the problem that the quality level and your bosses dealt with these people, too, from the Tea Party era? Let's play a little bit of what the Tea Party looked like. These are the people that your former bosses, Paul Ryan and John Boehner, had to deal with. We have, a, I think, some VO of what the Tea Party looked like, OK? This crowd elected the Tea Party and then MAGA made that even more extreme. Isn't that the problem, Brendan, the quality level of the people who are in the House? Republicans. Well, certainly, I think the conference has drifted to the right. And there's no no question about that. And yeah, it's hard to get good people to run for office these days. I don't know why, if you are a potential recruit uh, considering running for office, you'd want to come join this conference. Um, now, I do think, of course, I will say it is unfair to say that there are no good or smart people in the House Republican conference. I'm sure you're not, um, you know, familiar with every single one of them. There are good, still good people who want to do good things, but there are a lot of forces and really bad incentives. And some of the incentives that we saw that led to Kevin McCarthy's ouster, that rule in place, Matt Gates went against the 90 percent of his conference and will do pay no price for it whatsoever. He will only get benefits. And this this has gone back a long ways. I, you know, the, the first person that I attribute this kind of thing to remember when Joe Wilson yelled, you lie at the Obama uh, State of the Union. Instead of becoming an outcast, he became really popular and everybody wanted him at his fundraisers and he raised lots of money. That kind of incentive structure has led to a place where no one cares about leadership. No one is fearful of leadership. They all operate under their own um, their own banner. Uh, and it leads to chaos like this where we can simply can't govern. But let me ask you this, because name for me five. You only need five Republicans who will go across to Hakeem Jeffries and say, let's form a coalition. We'll, we'll have a speaker who's a moderate. Th there's not five. Tim, Tim Miller was on earlier. He said he can't think of five. I can't think of one who I would say is a Jasmine Crockett who could get up and, you know, or who could do what Jamie Raskin does. I, I, can't, I really would like for you to name me five of them that I should, that I should there, call, there that I should book. Uh, Mike Fitzpatrick, Don Bacon, uh, Mike Lawler. There's several. There are, there are, are a not lot insurrectionists. Of in, yes, correct. There okay. are, Patrick McHenry. Patrick McHenry is a very good, honest person with integrity. Is he he voted against for, all of that stuff on January 6th. He is a good stand up person. And, and anybody would who one knows of them, him would. Could one of them make Could one of them run for speaker? Do you think one of them could become speaker? No, because that's not how the conference is built. That's not what the conference is looking for. But that's the, that's the case of any you know, House of Representatives. You can't have a speaker who relies on the minority for their job. I think that's what Kevin McCarthy realized. That's why he didn't negotiate. You're no longer Speaker of the House when you don't control 218 votes, and he can't count on the minority to carry him that way. That's why he didn't bother to reach out. Uh, Jasmine Crockett, I want to let you comment because you you are in this caucus. You are with these folks. The people to uh, Brendan's point, and he does make a good point. The people who control the caucus are Marjorie Green, Lauren Boebert, when she's not at Beetlejuice being weird. Um, you know, those are the, the those are the people who actually run the caucus. 
have you seen a coalition of Republicans that you all could go to and say, give us five of you and we will form a coalition? Do you know of any of those folks who would be willing to do that? I don't know of any, but I definitely think that the best of the Republican Party is not on display. And unfortunately, they never put their best forward. There are some people that I absolutely believe are a lot better than the people that are stepping up and want to control this crazy caucus. There is no control in this caucus. And so long as this rule stays in place, which those same eight most likely will vote to keep this rule in place, they still need to talk to Democrats. You need to talk to Democrats if you want a rule change and you want to hold on to your job. You need to talk to Democrats if you actually want to pass a budget. There are those that do not care about keeping the government open. I keep trying to tell people that people are always talking about the enemy from on the outside, but let me be clear, there are enemies within that are tearing us apart and that's what you saw. That's why we're seeing history play out in such a negative way, but they definitely have better. But when it comes to things like oversight and what you saw um, as it relates to the president, Let me be clear. The Republicans have all the brawn, meaning they have the numbers, but we definitely have the brains when it comes specifically to that committee. Let let, let me go to you, Claire, on this, because you've dealt with a similar sort of world in the Senate where it's even drifted that way in that. How how do these incentive structures change? Because if there are people, as both of our uh, learned guests have said, that could theoretically form like a sanity caucus with Democrats— The last five speakers, the last five Republican speakers, this is how it's gone for them. Paul Ryan stepped down and resigned because he was so fed up with them. John Boehner was like, I'm done. He stepped down as well. We know Dennis Hastert had his issues uh, with uh, child molestation, and he had to go. Newt Gingrich stepped down um, after disappointing midterm election and some uh, scandals, and then Kevin McCarthy. That's their last five speakers. Is there a way to change the incentive structure so that the decent people, the people who are not nuts and who don't want to overthrow the government, can actually have some power on the Republican side? Or is it too late? Well, it's it's really hard with gerrymandering in the House. What you don't have in the Senate, um, every senator represents a whole state. And there are still states that will elect either a Democrat or Republican. Those members have an incentive to find common ground. But let's look at Nancy Mace. You know, her name should be on everybody's lips. I mean, give me a break. This woman can't decide who she is. She barely won her congressional seat, defeated an incumbent Democrat by a hair in 2020. What did the Republicans do? They gerrymandered South Carolina and made sure that her district was comfortably Republican. So the only thing she has to worry about now is a primary. Right. So her incentive structure has her on Steve Bannon's show with Matt Gates today. Yeah. We should never talk to her about her moderate stands on squat because she has thrown in with the crazy of the craziest. And all she's worried about now is winning a primary because of blatant gerrymandering in her state. And as long as you do that, when I came to the Senate, Joy, there were probably two dozen, maybe even more seats in the House that could have gone either way. We're down now to a handful. And when you have that, then the incentive structure goes awry if you don't have strong leadership like a Hakeem Jeffries or a Nancy Pelosi. And last one to you, Brendan, and, and this is a great point. I think of Elise Stefanik the same way, my fellow Harvardian, who completely flipped her entire persona to become more like Donald Trump. The incentive structure says become Trump, become like him, fake it and pretend to be him, be an insurrectionist. 
I'll ask you, this is your party. How do you change that structure as long as Donald Trump is out there and really controlling everything that the party does? Yeah, I, I like to say that I don't think anything is forever in politics, but I also don't think it changes as long as Donald Trump is, is roaming this earth. It, we are, we are, even you take him away, say he's not running for president, everybody is still playing his same style of politics. That's right. Uh, this is a, until Republican voters decide they want something else, and maybe we'll reach a breaking point. Maybe we have to get to a point where we get voted out of office again and start having some some hard conversations, but we're very bad at learning lessons. We've lost the Senate, we've lost the House before, we've lost the White House, and nobody ever seems to course correct. So I'm not very optimistic in the short term. I think in the long term, we will adapt and we will evolve because we have to for our survival. Um, but it's hard to be optimistic in the short term after, especially after what we saw this week. Well, I mean, I'm optimistic because you said my favorite thing. It's, it's it's the voters. Voters have to demand better quality. You have to demand better quality and you have to come out and vote for better quality. If you want your party back, Republicans, you got to vote for higher quality folks that have a little bit more backbone. I mean, that's the only answer. I think that that's correct. Uh, Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett, thank you. Former Senator Claire McCaskill, thank you as always. Brendan Buck, thank you and welcome to the show. Up next on The Readout, Donald Trump was back in court for day three of his fraud trial as prosecutors in the federal election case show a renewed interest in Rudy Giuliani's drinking. The Readout continues after this. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. I guess you can call it a win for Judge Arthur and Gordon in Donald Trump's civil fraud trial. Since imposing his partial gag order yesterday, Trump was no longer attacking the judge's court staff just offering up his usual attacks on the judge and New York Attorney General Letitia James. I have a corrupt attorney general that communicates with the DOJ in Washington to keep me nice and busy. The judge already knows what he's going to do. He's a Democrat judge. In all fairness to him, he has no choice. He has no choice. He's run by the Democrats. Our whole system is corrupt. This is corrupt. Atlanta is corrupt. And what's coming out of D.C. is corrupt. Wow. Today, A.G. James clapped back at Trump's repeated attacks. 
Mr. Trump's comments were offensive, they were baseless, they were void of any facts and or any evidence. What they were were comments that unfortunately fomented violence, and comments that I would describe as race baiting, and I will not sit idly by and allow anyone to subvert the law. And lastly, I will not be bullied. And so Mr. Trump is no longer here. The Donald Trump show is over. This was nothing more than a political stunt. Wow, mic drop. Trump did call it quits after the courthouse, I mean, at the courthouse when they broke for lunch today, but not before his legal team appealed Judge Ngoran's ruling last week that found Trump liable for fraud by massively overvaluing his assets and net worth for years. And as the third day of trial wrapped, the first two witnesses, two of Trump's former accountants, were still on the stand. The prosecution has 26 more witnesses to call. Meanwhile, Trump's team claims they plan to call 127 witnesses to testify. Joining me now is Paul Butler, former federal prosecutor, Georgetown law professor and MSNBC legal analyst. Paul, I think I know why Donald Trump is so pissed off. Um, he's off the Forbes list again. Forbes <laughs> dropped them from its list of 400 wealthiest people in the U.S. for the second time in three years. He's being exposed as not being as rich as people thought he was. And that's why he's mad. Don't you think? And Letitia James is hitting him where it hurts. Yeah. She's mainly responding to Donald Trump in court, and she's kicking his butt. Last week, the judge said that there was overwhelming evidence just based on the documents that Trump submitted yep. that he's a fraud and a cheat. So the main issue before the judge now is how much money Donald Trump has to pay. If it's anywhere near that $250 million that mm -hmm. Letitia James is asking for, Trump's going to have to sell Trump Tower. He's going to have to liquidate his assets. This is about protecting the taxpayers of New York because right. it's going to be their money quite soon. Any chance? Does he have any shot on appeal? I, I don't think so. Again, the judge knows that every move he makes is going to be subject to sure. scrutiny by the Court of Appeals. So he's being extra careful. And again, these cases are mainly proved on documents. Documents don't lie. Yeah, but let's go to Fulton County. Um, plea deals. At least a handful of the now 18 defendants have received offers from D.A. Fonnie Willis, uh, her office, uh, or they've touched base with their attorneys to gauge their general interest in striking a deal. Uh, late last week, we, we, all, we know Scott Hall, the bail bondsman, struck a plea deal. What are the chances of getting one of the big ones, like the Kraken ladies in uh, City Powell? So there will certainly be other people who make pleas. There's a Supreme Court case in which Justice Kennedy said, we don't have a trial system in the United States. We have a plea bargain system. About 90 percent of people who are charged with crimes yeah. uh, plea guilty. And we know in RICO cases, Fannie Willis has one going on now where 28 alleged gang members are charged. 21 of them have wow. already pled guilty. Wow. Scott Hall got a really good deal. He was facing 20 years based on these regal charges. Yeah. He's pled guilty to five misdemeanors. The prosecution is going to recommend probation, and he gets to keep his bail bondsman's license. Yeah. What that tells us is that Fonnie Willis is going after the big fish. People like Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. But Scott Hall's got the goods on Sidney Powell, so that's going to be powerful incentive for her to cop a deal, and Sidney Powell could deliver up 
Rudy Giuliani, and John Eastman. Do the deals get worse the longer you wait? Absolutely. It's kind of like a Krispy Kreme when they put that uh, (laughs) hot donut sign on. Get them while they're hot. Yeah, because the people who make the first deals get the best deals. get the best deals. Let's talk about Rudy Giuliani. Uh, Karma is is, is coming for him probably more than anybody else. And karma, you know, very wise karma. Uh, It appears that his drinking, uh, the New York Times has a report on how the special counsel's team, this is the Jack Smith uh, prosecution, they are interested in how aware Trump might have been of Giuliani's tendency to imbibe in the alcohol. The answers to those prompts could complicate any efforts by Mr. Trump's team to lean on a so-called advice of counsel defense, a strategy that could portray him as a client merely taking professional cues from his lawyers. If such guidance came from someone who Mr. Trump knew was compromised by alcohol, especially when many others told Trump definitively they had lost, weakens his argument. So in Jack Smith's uh, January 6th prosecution, Rudy Giuliani is unindicted co-conspirator number one. Yeah. Uh, we know that on election day, uh, Giuliani told Trump, just say you won. <laughs> now, Trump's one of his defenses that he's floated is, well, I was just doing what my lawyers told me to do. The lawyers told me that the election was stolen. The lawyer said everything that I was doing was legal. Well, if one of the lawyers was drunk, that eviscerates that defense. Wow. Let me ask you between the whole plea deal thing. If somebody pleads out in Bonnie Willis's case, what does that do to if they if they also are involved in Jack Smith's case? It gives them exposure, which is why people like Donnie, uh, Donald Trump and John Eastman and Rudy Giuliani are unlikely to plead guilty. Sure. Even if uh, Willis offers them the best deal because Jack Smith could still indict him. I mean, he has indicted yeah. uh, Trump and could use that as evidence against yeah. Trump and other people who he hasn't indicted, like Giuliani and Eastman, we can be sure that at some point, uh, based on the uh, allegations in the Trump indictment, that yeah. Jack Smith is coming for them. Real quick, uh, Michael Cohen has a civil suit d- that he's involved in with Donald Trump. So Trump left the New York court to go to Florida. He had said, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I, you know, I can't leave to do this deposition because I got to be in court in New York. But now he's gone. Well, we know Donald Trump hates any kind of court proceeding where he has to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Um, he has a problem with that. So yeah. I don't blame him for trying to put that <laughs> off as long as he could. Yeah, because that deposition, depositions don't usually go well for him. That's exactly no, right. No, they're not his friend. Paul Butler, always fun. Thank you very much. Up next, State Representative Justin Jones of the Tennessee Three joins me on his new lawsuit against the state's Republican speaker for expelling him from the legislature back in August. I'll be right back. everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. 
Tennessee State Representative Justin Jones is taking action to block the state from continuing to suppress dissent. Jones and fellow black Democratic lawmaker Justin J. Pearson were expelled from the state house in April for leading gun reform protests on the House floor days after a shooting at a Nashville area school. Gloria Johnson, their white colleague who joined them in those protests, was not expelled and kept her seat. In August, Jones and Pearson won back their seats in a special election. And during a special session later that month, Republicans passed new rules to limit debate. Jones was again silenced after Tennessee House Speaker Cameron Sexton ruled that he'd twice spoken out of order, leading Democrats to walk out in protest. On Tuesday, Jones filed suit against the state and Sexton in federal court, alleging that his expulsion and the new rules are unconstitutional and illegal. The suit alleges that Jones was blocked from expressing views on critical issues that he was elected to express, and his expulsion robbed him of committee appointments and seniority. In a social media post, Jones said his constituents deserve to have their voices heard without the threat of undemocratic silencing and retaliation. And State Representative Justin Jones joins me now. Um, Representative Jones, let's go through this. So since you've been back, and we've talked to you about this on this show, you have not been reassigned to any committees? I've been assigned to some committees, but not all of the committees that I was a member of. And and that's what I kind of want to say, too, Joyce, that this case is not, this lawsuit is not about a singular instance, but it's about a pattern of behavior from the House Speaker. Um, at, at every opportunity, Speaker Sexton has had the opportunity to change course, and at every opportunity, he has chosen discrimination and censorship instead of democracy and rule of law. And has the, have the, the sanctions against you, saying you're out of order, saying you can't speak, you can't present on the floor, have those been applied to anyone else besides you? So on August 28th, during our special session, Joy, I was the only member who was silenced um, under the new House rules. And I was threatened with being permanently silenced for the rest of the session if I was ruled out of order two more times. Um, People who believe in democracy um, don't silence their opposition simply for doing their job and advocating for our district. Uh, This is about challenging authoritarianism. And it's not just about absurd behavior, but it's about absurd um, unconstitutional behavior and illegal behavior from the speaker um, that should, should you know, trouble us all. And I know that you're being uh, represented by Eric Holder's law firm. Uh, what venue was this lawsuit filed in and what sanctions are you seeking? Um, this lawsuit was filed here um, in Nashville in the federal court, the middle um, Tennessee federal court. Um, and this lawsuit is seeking uh, for the court to rule the actions and the conduct of Speaker Cameron Sexton um, as unconstitutional and illegal. It's about upholding the right um, to express views under the First Amendment. It's about due process, because even during the expulsion, we saw um, a kangaroo court, as you and and people across America saw, a court that was rigged and that was um, about silencing the two youngest black lawmakers, but allowing our colleague, who's white, who engaged in the same conduct, letting her go. Uh, This is about making sure that this doesn't happen to anybody else, Joy. And I want to also say that this is not about me um, as, as one person or going into some tit-for-tat against the speaker, but this is about the people of my district, 70,000 people, the most diverse district in Tennessee who are being silenced. It's about making sure that this does not happen to any other lawmaker, Joy, because what their behavior is saying, I'm going to be honest with you, is saying that you as a young black person are not welcome here. You as a young black lawmaker don't belong here. And I don't want any other young black child or brown child who watches the news or who sees what's happening in Tennessee to feel that way. I want them to know that they have a place in the people's house, that their voice matters, and that they can be a lawmaker just like I am, and that they should be, and 
this old system of, of discrimination and Jim Crow that they're holding on to should no longer exist in the state of Tennessee. You know, I follow the Tennessee holler and I sort of keep up with what's going on in your state through that uh, news organization. And it does seem that there is something personal uh, that Speaker Sexton has about you, um, that he that he seems to have some kind of. Uh, is, is that how it feels to you, that there is something personal that is specific to you? I think it's really about what I represent, Joy. I'm the youngest black lawmaker. I come from community organizing, come from that tradition of John Lewis of good, of good trouble. And I come um, speaking unapologetically as, 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 as a young person representing my district. And so it's really about making an example. And we've seen this before throughout our history, Joy. And so I hope that, you know, the speaker knows, and I've said this so many times, when I went to that House floor and when I go on the House floor fighting against um, this proliferation of guns in our community, no matter if it's personal for him, I want him to know that I'm fighting for his children, too, because this is about all children in Tennessee. And, it's, and, I, and my, my focus is about the young people, who the, the high schoolers, the middle schoolers who've stopped me and said, thank you for fighting for us. I don't want them to feel like they can be bullied. We don't tolerate bullies on the schoolhouse yard, and we should not tolerate bullies in the state house. And that's what this is about. We're about it's about standing up to bullies um, and letting them know that they may engage in personal attacks, but we're going to keep it focused on the issues and keep it focused on what's in the best interest of all Tennesseans and, and, and the next generation. Speaking of students, uh, let me play what uh, Speaker Sexton uh, essentially said. He apparently would like to reject $1.8 billion in federal education funding. Here he is explaining why. The federal government was set up by the states. The states are the parents, not the federal government. And we should do everything that we can to be whole and autonomous and independent from the federal government. But when you take federal government money, their philosophies, what they want you to do is different than probably what the state wants to do. What would be the consequences of foregoing $1.8 billion in federal education money? It would devastate our education system, Joy. In his county, Cumberland County, that he represents, 30% of their school district's budget comes from the federal government. And so, you know, we have to stop this made-up civil war that they're waging against the federal government. And, and as you know, our case is being filed in federal court. We're, we're seeking to go to the federal court um, to uphold um, the 14th Amendment, um, equal protection clause. Um, we're, we're seeking to uphold the First Amendment, the right to free speech and free expression. Um, we as Tennessee lawmakers um, take an oath to uphold constitutional rights, um, both at the, um, in the state constitution, but also in the federal constitution. So I hope that we will uphold these rights and uphold the constitution and not um, do things that are harmful um, to each other as colleagues or to the people of Tennessee. And so I hope that once again, the speaker will choose um, a different path, um, a path of democracy and human rights and not dictatorship. We will continue to watch what's going on in Tennessee. It has become one of the most fascinating uh, states uh, and kind of frightening <laughs> states in the union. Uh, Tennessee State Representative Justin Jones, thank you very much. And coming thank up, you. cheers on this Banned Books Week, a Banned Books Week, Ibram X. Kendi joins me to talk about the inherent bigotry behind the recent surge in efforts to ban books. Stay with us. It's Banned Books Week, and among the titles that have been targeted by book banners over the past couple of years, an overwhelming number of them are about racism. According to PEN America, in the first half of the 2022 to 2023 school year, 30% of the titles banned were about race, racism, or feature characters of color. Which isn't a coincidence. It's a direct result of a conservative campaign to essentially reverse the racial justice movement that surged after the killing of George Floyd. With people like conservative activist Christopher Rufo claiming that these books teach critical race theory, which they don't. 
One of their main targets is Ibram X. Kendi, whose many books, including How to Be an Anti-Racist and Stamped Racism, Anti-Racism and You, have been some of the most challenged titles in schools and libraries across the country. And joining me now is Ibram X. Kendi, best-selling author, historian and founding director of the Boston University Center for Anti-Racist Research. Um, great to see you, Professor Kendi. Let, let, let's, go, let's go right to it. Uh, I'm going to put up a, a map here of just states where your books uh, have been banned. Uh, you wouldn't be surprised that the majority are in Florida, six of them in Florida, one even in New York, four in South Carolina, one in Pennsylvania, one in Tennessee, four in Texas. What do you think is the goal of book banners? Because I, I just posited that I think part of it is that they were alarmed by the push toward a reckoning after George Floyd, and they want that to go away. What do you think? I think that's certainly the case. And and this has happened throughout American history when abolitionists and abolitionist literature uh, really started to emerge in the 1830s and 1840s and 1850s. How did enslavers respond? By banning that literature. Uh, Jim Crow segregationists uh, routinely banned uh, civil rights literature, you know, during the Jim Crow era. And, and now in a moment where young people in particular after the murder of George Floyd we're, we're demanding and requesting an anti-racist education. We're trying to understand why Breonna Taylor and, and George Floyd uh, were, were, were killed. And teachers started to respond to those students. And, and But the response to, to those teachers was, was, was to ban their efforts to, to do their job, which was to provide education. There's like an accelerating sort of frenzy to it now. It's gone to everything from suing over affirmative action to suing people who give grants to black women. It feels like there's sort of an all out assault on black progress or you're at, you know, you have an anti-racism center that is designed to sort of deal with these issues. Do you feel that it is a multi pronged assault or, you know, am I just seeing it that way because I'm inside the news world looking at all these stories? I do. I mean, if you if you look at the headlines, you you see anti-racist authors being challenged, anti-racist books being challenged, anti-racist organizations being challenged, anti-racist elected officials being challenged. You 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 know, wherever you look, people who are striving to abolish racism are being challenged and made into the villain. People who want an equitable and just society made into the problem. And, and, and I think that's that that clearly will allow for the conservation of racism. And I will note that uh, it, Ron DeSantis, who's having a failing uh, presidential campaign, has banned to stop accrediting colleges that have diversity, equity and inclusion programs. If he, he becomes president, something to look forward to. Christopher Rufo, who I mentioned earlier uh, and who, when I interviewed him on this show, said that you were a promulgator of critical race theory, which I will just confirm again that you are not a critical race theorist. Right. I wasn't trained in critical race theory. Okay. Uh, he has now declared victory over you um, because of some stories in the New York Times and in some conservative uh, outlets and in the Boston Globe about some challenges at the center, um, at the Anti-Racism Center. Tell us the status of what is happening at the Anti-Racism Center financially and organizationally. Because he says that he, has, he, that he has taken you down. <laughs> well, I mean, he's been lying and, and, and making up stories about me and many other people for, for years. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that unfortunately, as part of this larger uh, effort, there's been a decline in the amount of money that organizations like like mine and other social justice organizations 
have been raising. And it's forced a number of organizations to have to make changes and pivots and even engage in restructuring, which which we had to do recently. And unfortunately, uh, you know, people had to, to lose their jobs in order for us to to maintain financial sustainability. And, and but that was an effort to ensure that our center would be around 20 and 50 years from now. So I, I don't know what he's talking about in terms of a downfall. If anything, we're rising. And the universities, what is the status of the center with the university? Is the university in still it full and still full support of the center? Of course. And, you know, the university is, is doing its due diligence to, uh, in, in, you know, look into some of the uh, allegations, which to me are, are, are baseless. But but that's what institutions are supposed to do. And but but, uh, you know, I think, again, uh, you know, Christopher Rufo has made up many things over the course of the, the last few years. And and and, you know, similarly, he's he's making up things you know, right now. And, and unfortunately, the truth is our young people, uh, older people, you know, are being harmed because we still live in an equi- inequitable and, and unjust society where people are being discriminated against because of the color of their skin. And that's what we should be fighting, not people yeah. who are trying to eliminate that. Uh, Ibram X. Kendi, thank you very much. Much appreciated. We'll be right back. Before we go, be sure to check out the readout blog. Our writer, Jahan Jones, honors Banned Books Week with an alphabetical breakdown of the right's anti-woke crusade. And for our project, Hip Hop is Universal, listen to his chat with Duke professor Nikki Lane, who pioneered a Megan Thee Stallion-inspired course on women in hip hop. Dr. Lane and Jahan discuss the politics of respectability and how women and LGBTQ artists are changing the game. And that is tonight's readout. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.